0: Hoops House with G-Shouse podcast continues here as we roll into another episode as we're going to be joined today by a really unique guest who when it comes to the uh, game of basketball is kind of a kind of a jack of all trades. He he was a former coach at one time. He uh, is uh, in charge of a bracketology website called Delphi Bracketology. Used to be the uh, uh, head coach at Northfield High School way back in the day and um and is a big IU basketball fan just like me which is kind of how we got connected and we're able to meet uh welcome to the show uh coach uh, Brian Tanzoni coach it's uh, great to have you aboard
1: Well thanks for having me on it's always a a pleasure to talk basketball especially with fellow Indiana fans even though we're having a tough season right yeah. now uh, but uh, we're still family and uh, good to talk basketball with you thanks for having me on
0: Yeah coach Ta- yeah coach uh uh, just kind of talk about your upbringing and just and and, uh, and just your career and how you got to where you are and uh, you know take us through the days of you know even being the head coach at Northfield way back in the uh, mid to late nineties.
1: Yeah, so I'm originally from Laporte, Indiana, and went to school to go into finance and at some point i decided i wanted to coach and teach and i got my start uh teaching and and being an assistant coach for jim shannon at lebanon high school okay and a variety of roles uh jim shannon just retired uh from new albany uh last year has a pretty storied record in high school basketball so i think i learned from someone uh who's one of the best in, in the state of indiana and got my first coach head coaching opportunity at northfield and, bounced around after that to over to Delphi, where I currently am as a head coach for over 10 years. And in the other 10, 12 years of my coaching career, I helped out some friends as assistant. When I was last coaching, I was at Western High School as an assistant, Mike Lewis, who was one of my former assistants. And we had a good five-year run at Western before I decided to pursue some podcast opportunities like you're building yourself. I do a a post-game call or not call-in show but a post-game show for indiana university basketball called the assembly call in the back home network and then i also do the bracketology work with our students at school which gives me a lot of opportunities to cover college games as media i just got done having a a talk with a former twin lake indian basketball player who's now doing bracketology work at wabash college so i've gone from uh, assistant coach and head coach of the high school game to now being a a member of the media so to speak with a variety of podcasts and information about the game of college basketball still teaching uh, still have um uh, a wonderful wife amy who supports me and everything and two grown kids and i'm going to be a grandfather coming up awesome. in a couple months awesome. final four weekend expected so i mean Aww. a lot of good things happening in the Tom Sony family
0: yeah that's a great coach uh just Kind of talk about uh, go back to the old days there with Jim Shannon and and, and uh, uh, there at Lebanon High School. Talk about some of the things that you picked up from him. He 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 is a Hall of Famer or future Hall of Famer. I, I'm not sure if he's in the Hall of Fame yet. But when you work with someone like that of that magnitude, uh, you definitely pick up a lot of things on the way.
1: Yeah, I, there, there's so much uh, to talk about Jim Shannon. But I walked into his office. I got the job as an a sixth grade teacher and i I told him i want to coach basketball i'll do anything for you and he found me a spot on the eighth grade coaching staff as a b team coach and he let around the team the high school team go on bus trips and he would give me jobs to do but the number one thing that i learned from coach jim shannon is be a student of the game he shared with me some of his mentors his coaches that he studied Meyer from Lipscomb university and then later Northern state over 900 victories in, in a division two and NAIA basketball. Uh, and he just needs to love the game and learn the game. And then as a coach to just outwork people. Uh, and so film study became very important, breaking down film and scouting opponents was huge, uh, under, under Shin. And And so you learn to, to really be, uh, Work at your craft. And I owe Jim Shannon a, a lot of the success that that I've had as a coach and even transitioning now to analyzing basketball. Uh I learned so much about the game because he was a hard worker and that transitioned to me.
0: And then kinda kinda going there to Northfield High School, that that's a program when uh they're kind of just right before you had gotten there in the late 80s, early 90s, they made a run all the way to the final four, lost uh, uh, lost in the final four there, uh, had the Ross twins, had the Che twins as well. You kind of inherited a really solid built program there at Northfield, a smaller school. Yeah, it was, it
1: was fun. Now, now I, I did inherit a program that had lost, like, several years in a row, like two or three years. So they had lost some of that by the time I got up there. But it was a process. We were able to uh, build what we wanted to build there. And in year five, we were in the Final Four, back in the Final Four, as Northfield had done with the Che brothers and with the Ross brothers. And so that was a very proud moment of, of my coaching career, to bring that back to Northfield. We have probably – Team chemistry of any program that I've been around in that season. And we struggled early with some real close losses that really could have demoralized the team. But our our senior leadership, Josh Merrick, uh, was a... years of Taylor, probably the best overall basketball player. But we had guys on that team that if they were defenders, they'd come in in the morning on on Monday morning, who am I defending and where's the film? And it was really that bonded and accepted their roles. And it's the key to high school basketball. Yes, you want to have the best talent, but when your locker room takes care of stuff, uh, then the coaching can add to it. Men that I've been around uh, that year, and we lost to Lewis Cass, undefeated number one Lewis Cass in the Warsaw Regional in 2003, some 21 years ago. But it was a fantastic memory, and, and those guys hold a special place in that community. Giving me my first opportunity as a head
0: coach and that lewis Cass team uh was a team that uh went on to win the 2a state championship really uh in in, in my opinion under one of the best coaches of all time and basil Mobby. so you definitely had to see some really good teams along the way with you coaching and uh you just kind of being a basketball junkie and fan what wh- what is one of the best high school basketball teams you've seen in indiana in all your years being involved
1: Cool. well I tell you that that team to coach against I think was one of the better teams uh, that that we saw up uh, Bo Bauer went on to play some division one basketball and basil played that two three zone which was yeah. tough with everyone, let alone when you had that kind of wingspan and size against a high school team and uh, so so that was a program and basil had had been well known before that when you go up and And coach against uh, those teams. Uh, When I was at Lebanon, we played some really good players and in some good gyms. We played in the field house. So there's a lot of good memories of not only good teams, but good atmospheres. Right. Uh, And then, you know, I grew up in a time when in high school I went to the, the Final Four before class basketball at Market Square Arena. And you saw teams from Marion and Anderson play in person. And it was just, it's Indiana basketball is special at all levels, but especially the high school level. Being at the Wigwam and, and watching that tradition before that shutdown yeah. uh, is a memory that I will always, always remember. So that Marion team in the 80s is probably the best team that I've seen in person, uh, seen on television when they got to the semi-state and the state finals. Uh, but man, I love going. I used to love going to Hinkle when they had the regional, mm-hmm. the Indianapolis area regional, and saw some outstanding games. Uh, Indianapolis, Washington versus Ben Davis. Uh, those Ben Davis teams were were really special back in, in those days. And, and it's just you you name it. There's some really good basketball. Uh, I played high school uh, against several college athletes. Delray Brooks was a Mr. Basketball at Michigan City Rogers. I played against a lot of guys that went to Loyola uh, up from up in the region. So there's so many to to single out. Of, it would be very, very difficult. But I would have to say the best overall team in my lifetime was probably that three championship run of Marion.
0: Okay. And and, and see, with someone like me growing up in Marion, going to Oak Hill, you always hear the legends of that Marion team, Bill Green, Jay Edwards, Lyndon Jones. Yep. Uh And you know guys like Kyle Persinger too who were good Derek Keys you know Jay Teagle that team was stacked from top to bottom Jay and Lyndon go on to play uh for Bob Knight at Indiana University at a time when Bob Knight uh was uh the face of college basketball just I mean just be plain and simple and and uh you I mean you saw it you were around it more than I was but talk about Coach Knight at Indiana, because you're an Indiana fan, you're an Indiana guy, so you would know. Talk about his impact that he had from being the coach at IU that impacted the state of Indiana uh, as a whole basketball-wise. Because I feel as if, you know, I, I, I mean, I've always heard the story when he came out, and started wearing the red sweater. Every high school and uh, every high school coach in the state wanted to start wearing a sweater when they would go coach a game. It was stuff like that that he kind of had a chokehold on basketball in Indiana. Coach Knight
1: obviously is one of the greatest coaches of all time, if not the, one of the, the greatest. I mean, I know you got Coach K and and, and Coach Wooden. You could throw some argument in there, but he really changed the game team in the late 60s 70s and he brought in motion offense and man-to-man defense and started shutting people down and the, the whole indiana community just took that um their basketball fandom and and still some of the struggles today is you know, yeah and it was just he took he made average players good can bring up some of the tough memories that he had, and he had those, and I, I think he has to, to own some of those behaviors of his. But he was very serious. He treated his players uh, off the court, which we didn't see very well. My brother-in-law walked on for him in an injury year in 93-94, uh, Damon Bailey's last year. So he got an inside look at Coach Knight, and Coach Knight always offered to help him after. Uh, afterwards, and he only played for, like, five months for, for Coach Knight. So there's wow. a lot of things that people did not see about Coach Knight, but he was just a tactician and his accountability. He held his players accountable, and they either produced or they moved on. And when most of them produced, you had good basketball teams and championships. And it's one of the hard parts about coaching today because society and kids are different. Holding people accountable is so difficult. Yeah. You have to find a way in today's world to still do it if you want to be successful, but it's so different. I don't think I don't think young people can emulate Coach Knight today in a style coaching at middle school, high school, or even college because times have changed, yeah. and you need to change with the times. But boy, when he came into basketball uh, through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, he was the real deal, and I've stolen a lot of stuff from him and still like the way he taught offense and defense because I think it shows that, that he was a winner.
0: Who, uh, who are some of your coaching heroes? Because a lot of, uh, well, all coaches have guys, uh, I mean, no matter what the sport is, you know, football coaches, allies other football coaches, basketball coaches, allies other basketball coaches. Who are some of your coaching heroes that, uh, you know, you said how you kind of took some things from Coach Knight that he taught and that you used on your own, but... Who are some of the others that you know you took things from and uh, kind of implemented them as your own and, and 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 some of the other coaches that you looked up to in your career?
1: Yeah, it goes back to your question about Jim Shannon yeah. teaching me to to read a lot and watch videos. I still have some old BHS videos about a hundred VHS. There's so many that have maybe this offense or this defense, like Mike Jarvis eventually coached at St. John's. He had a multiple Uh, A color-coded defensive system. Well, that's what I ended up running when I was in high school. Different levels of pressure and help and so forth by color-coding. And and you have to have a learning mentality in this game. You can't think you know it all because the game changes so much. When I worked for Mike Lewis at Western, I hadn't coached with him for five or six years. The thing that impressed me the most is his player development. He went around to trainers and, and different clinics to learn how to make basketball players better. And the was because he learned how to make players better. So you have to have that learning mentality. So Mike Jarvis was one. Rick Majerus uh, was an okay. outstanding influence for me. But the, the number one was Don Meyer uh, from Lipscomb University, NIA, and then he went to Northern State, I believe, a Division II school. He had clinics, and he had videos and books, and he was a giving coach for other coaches that I've ever been around. He was a tough guy, a disciplinarian, won a lot of basketball games. At one point, held the record of most wins in college basketball before he lost uh, his battle with cancer. And he, motivation and how to work hard. And uh, sometimes you go just the guy who wins the NCAA championship and go watching at a clinic. Get some of the people at all levels of basketball. Um, now the name, uh, the name's gonna. Um, escape me and it's it's sad that it's escaping me but the head coach at taylor university paul patterson yeah, yeah. there's another guy that he, he treated people and how he ran his program that you, you learn from so and i'm talking about a couple of naia guys that were very influential i'm talking about a guy in rick majerus who won at various levels uh and obviously coach knight so those are a few that come to mind uh, real quickly but there were there were so many that did things right that you can learn from and there's still coaches now that you have to be open to learn and then the most important thing as coaches going forward you can't just do what uh coach k did at duke because he's got a whole different level of talent if i'm coaching at yeah. western or delphi or i have to take those lessons and then adapt them to the level where you're coaching i think sometimes young coaches get caught up in if if jim Beheim wins and playing a 2-3 i'm going to play a 2-3 zone well he had a seven-footer in the middle with the wingspan that could really make things tough. For sure. As concepts and apply the concepts from these coaches at a variety of levels to your program, I think is, is really good advice that I've uh, heard from other people. But those are some that of the coaches that were heavy. Don Meyer, the biggest influence. To this day, I still read some of his stuff. Uh, John Wooden is another one that I, I read a lot for how he handled people. Just a lot. Mentors in, in the game of college basketball and high school basketball
0: Transitioned back to uh, IU basketball here. Uh, we talked about earlier how Coach Knight held people accountable and just made guys so much tougher uh, When they would step out there for practice step out there on the floor for a game Now you're in a time you're in the Mike Woodson era. He was a part of that Do you think the state? really actually just to put it more bluntly what are your feelings on the current state of indiana basketball because to me it doesn't seem like what went on between 1971 and 2000 are taking place down there in bloomington in the 2023-24 season (laughs) so
1: here comes the loaded question yeah i'm not i'm not very pleased with the direction of the basketball program i wish mike woodson and indiana players and the coaching staff they're all good people uh, I've met a lot of them. I've talked yeah. to a lot of them. The GAs, the managers, uh, the players, they're all good people, but it's not working right now. I think y- you have to be honest in the fact that when you're 14 and 10, your offensive efficiency is 106 and Ken Palm and your overall Ken Palm rating is 96 and your net is 94. It's not working. The mm-hmm. question for me is it's a one year outlier because last year in the end did get a four seed was in a protected seed in the big 10 tournament. Uh, or is this a signal of where the program is headed under the direction of Mike Woodson? I think you, you have two outliers. Last year could be a positive, and this year could be an outlier negative. I think in the year to come, we're going to find out what truly Mike Woodson can do uh, overall. And my biggest fear is that you had two NBA players who carried the weight of the program last wow. year to success because uh, year one barely made the tournament. This year, not going to make the tournament. There's two years of what I think are somewhat negative results. And first years, you always got to give a benefit of the doubt. Uh, But last year wasn't because there were two NBA players who were dominant in most good wins versus the system and that accountability that Coach Woodson is doing. Coach, because coaching is difficult. Right. Um, You know, I've had issues with school boards and all that kind of stuff, and had issues with players, and then you try to coach them, work out. So I'm very careful of being overly critical about the person and the coach. I think they're trying to do, what do right, but the, the proof is in the footing when it comes to results. Over the three years, the results have been year four or five, if he gets that opportunity, or does Indiana look elsewhere? That's a decision I'm glad I don't have to make. Yeah. But I do want Indiana basketball to be more consistently in the tournament, a single-digit seed with a chance to get to the Sweet 16 and the Final Four. And I don't see that right now. And the question is, can it get there under Mike Woods? I'm afraid the answer is no, to be honest with you, but i see another year before I really can come down definitively one way or the other.
0: If Indiana were to go another direction with a different head coach, what direction would you want to see them go with? Well,
1: man, this is really a, a good one. i uh, coach, um, really, uh, since Coach Knight. Uh, Mike Davis did some nice things. Calvin Sampson is a good coach, but he, he did some things that were, were against the rules and got in trouble. Yeah. And then Coach Green had the most success, uh, but, but he really, uh, towards the end of his run, And didn't fit it in the end. And Archie, I thought was a really good, but he struggled with the limelight, um, and he struggled. Basketball, a player who is beloved and successful player, come back for a while and had never coached college basketball, and has up the recruiting, has beaten Purdue, has some really good things that he's done, but the overall play hasn't been good. So if you're going to go a different direction. What does that look like? Is it a mid-major coach who's had success?
0: That's woo- or something. <laughs>
1: yeah, or can you woo a, a big-name coach? Do they- no, but, man, Indiana just... I think that's hard to find because I thought Archie was the guy. guy wasn't working, so... Uh, you had a final four coach in, at Marquette Tom Crean, that didn't work out, so you tried a variety of styles or types. Uh, but, but I think, I think you really got hard um, and keep trying. I know it, I know it looks bad when you keep firing and hiring, but you can't go too long. Billy years at Kentucky. Uh, Matt Doherty, a veteran of North Carolina, a player at North Carolina, only lasted a couple seasons at North Carolina. Like if, if if it's deemed to not be working, then you got to go, and you got to take the wow. risk of finding the next guy, because in the end of, since they've been been really really good, and you- hard to recover, uh, back to in West Lafayette, and and consistent with different players. It's not just Zach Eady or Eady. They had they they had good runs, so. You've got to try to do whatever you can to get back there. It's a coach with coaching experience. And I think it's, a, a, you know, you you got to try to pinpoint that mid-major or that uh, low-high major guy that wants to make a, a move up. And you just got to do a lot of due diligence. Um, I'd love to see Chris Collins. I think that's yeah. a, If you can lure someone who's had success in a power conference but wants to move up, uh I think those are some some of the type of guys you got to kind of look at.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you were at the IU-Purdue game the other night in Mackey, correct? Correct. So give your thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, because I watched the start of it. It seemed like Indiana offensively kind of got out to a decent start. It looked like they were doing the things that, Woodson I think kind of directed them to do get the ball inside to Malik Renew. um and then they kind of went away from that a little bit Purdue kind of woke up a little bit Edie was dominant uh Lawyer Smith did what they do kind of give your thoughts as a whole on that game because it got out of hand pretty quick Indiana got down uh by about 15 and uh actually got it within 12 their half and Uh, uh, and from listening to Don Fisher on the radio, kind of sounded like they had a little spurt there before halftime, but then in the second half, just couldn't get anything.
1: Yeah, Indiana had some... It all comes down to me to when Indiana moves and shares the ball, they have a better efficient offense. The problem is they go for long stretches of time where the ball sticks, and they take questionable shots when things get tight. So I think even at the the minute mark, it was a four-point game. It was... 22, Indiana 18, and Indiana was fighting in there, and Purdue was missing some shots they normally hit, but that's what you have to do to win on the road is maybe have really primed to keep this close, then Ware got in foul trouble, yeah. and then then all of a sudden uh, there was, a. I think it was a, a six-point game or something, and there was a timeout and an out of bounds sidelines, and Indiana gets a five-second call on an inbound, which just can't happen. The ball goes the other way, and I think it was a 6 0 run, and it went to double digits right after that. And then you just see the whole team deflate, and their response, their response right now to adversity, is consistent. At Ohio State, they handled it and had outstanding play from Trey and Malik Renew, yeah. which carried him. They did not have that one play. Renew's defense was solid. And then offensively, they're just so tough to guard. You, you you try to take away Edie, then they hit three pointers. Mason Gillis hit two in the second half. They really separated. Uh, and then if you guard the three point line, then Edie goes off for 33 points or whatever. So you, you, you score them in Indiana's ability to score. Outside and in transition is limited at times, and I don't think it's emphasized. This is where I disagree with what goes on in the program. They are so inside-oriented. Well, you got Trey Kaufman-Wren and Zach Eady protecting the rim, and Renew didn't score a lot. Where got a couple of nice dunks on Alley but he really wasn't a dominant player, and that's your bread and butter for him. Those guys scoring a lot of points, and even Galloway at the rim, just tough to do against Purdue. Yeah. And you're not taking a lot of three pointers. Uh, you, you, I think you got to score, outscore Purdue in transition and on, at the three point line to beat this Purdue team. And that's just not Indiana's offense. And, and that's just the summary of what I think happened Saturday at Mackey.
0: Kind of give your thoughts uh, so far, uh, kind of transition back into West Lafayette there. Uh, kind of give your thoughts on this Purdue team this season because. Uh, I got your bracketology pulled up. You have him as a one seed. A lot of people have him as the number one overall seed, which, let's face it, uh, it comes down between them or UConn to probably get that number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Give your thoughts on what's going on up there in West Lafayette.
1: I I, I think Matt Painter is the best coach in the Big Ten. I think uh, Tom Izzo, uh, and that's hard to do. I I have a lot of respect (laughs) for Izzo. I think Izzo's just fantastic, but all good coaches at the back end of your career, things start to slip just a little bit, and it's not really the coaches' fault. It kind of falls flat. Well, Matt Painter's still in that 19-, 20-year run, and Matt does a really good job of recruiting players that want to play for Purdue uh, and want to win for Purdue and accept their roles. So right now we have Purdue as the number one overall seed because they just have beaten everyone of course. Teams on the road where teams have shot crazy from three-point right. line. Teams in our Delphi bracketology, and even if a loss or two, I don't see that changing. But they have, they have the most. Uh, I think who was it? Chris Collins said this in a post-game interview when they lost in that overtime game at Mackey. That um, Zach Eadie distorts the game. He distorts the game offensively, defensively, rebounding, where you have to change up what you do. Right. Defend them and change up what you do to to attack. So yeah. I think they're, they're one of the best teams. I know that they've had double-digit losses or not double-digit losses, but losses to double-digit seeds in the tournament uh, times in a row, and that's going to be the monkey on the back of the purdue program and 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 winning a um an ncaa tournament is you yeah have to have the breaks you got especially stay of nowadays
0: especially nowadays with you know the uh, uh the nil the transfer portal guys coming in and out a lot of teams that you see every year in the ncaa tournament who consistently go when the season's over they become a whole different team guys are going to the nba other yeah. guys are transferring in that's why I don't think you're ever really going to see a back-to-back national champion.
1: I agree. I think it's so tough to do, and, and really, I think Purdue is so fun to watch. And it's hard for me to say as an IU guy, yeah, because they just they move on offense, they help each other defensively, they do what good teams do. They have a chance to get to a Final Four. I think they have a chance at a national championship. are going to be based on matchups and and how. The ball bounces a little bit they have to play they have to play with the confidence that they play with right now uh i think they can't get tight I venture to say they played a little tight last year against fdu and when the game got close they got to try to avoid that this year but uh, listening to matt painter in his post game is like a mini coaching clinic you talk about influences in the game today, if I'm an up-and-coming coach, I'm trying to get into every Matt Painter practice or listen to Matt Painter's press conference. All you have to do is go to YouTube and watch every Matt Painter yeah. press conference, and you yes. would learn a ton yes. about the game of basketball. Hands down, one of the best listens uh, when he talks basketball. And, and you and I hate that, right? Because yeah. we're IU yep. guys. Yep. But, it's but
0: I think I the real I, truth. I, I think I think if you're a real fan, I think, uh, and, and and you follow basketball, you kind of respect that a little bit, though. You respect the yeah. game. You have to,
1: and and yeah, and because no, go they ahead. do things right. They just play the game the right
0: way. Yeah, and and I want to go back to that 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 comment you made about how Chris Collins said that Edie kind of distorts the game, where you have to change things up. I went to a. Um, I went to a summer shootout uh, a couple years ago over at Purdue. Our Oak Hill team was playing there. I went, I watched them, and, of course, Coach Painter is there. Heritage Christian was playing, which at the time had Miles Colvin, who's now at Purdue, so he was taking a look at him. And he was just sitting there, and I just went over, and I just I, I, I introduced myself. I started talking with him, and, and I asked him a few questions. And I asked him, I said, Coach, how do you um, – and, and, and why do you go and recruit these – Big guys, these big seven foot plus guys. And I asked him that, and he said, "Well, it's because uh, when we go and get those guys, you know, no one's ever really heard of them. You know, had anyone really ever heard of Zach Eady coming out of high school? He wasn't the big five star All American recruit. He was, you know, the guy from Canada that I think was an absolute steal uh, when uh, uh, when Purdue was recruiting him. Uh, you go and get guys like Zach Eady." Uh, he said Biggie Swanigan was one of them. Jawan Johnson, guys who are big and strong and tall that, uh, you know, teams have to prepare for them differently, especially the 7'4 guys. You know, you have to prepare for them differently. And he kind of he said along the lines of, like, yeah, they do. They distort the game a little bit, and they create problems. They create a matchup problem. I can't think of one guy in college basketball who – can lock up Zach Eady. The only way you can lock him up is if you get him on the bench with three fouls in the first half, yeah. which is rarely going to happen. Yeah, uh,
1: he's a. You got to push him off the block a little bit and hope his jump hook isn't there. And sometimes I think it's okay to let Eady get thirty five forty and keep the Lance Jones and everyone else from scoring yeah.
0: because, on, on the perimeter. Yeah, but, because because Eady's not going to score every point.
1: Yeah. Painter does well is he incorporates his perimeters with and big. I mean, the game of basketball has gone to more pick-and-pop fives, and, and guys like uh, Coleman Hawkins, who can dribble and drive, yeah. they're, they're going away from the post-up game. So Matt Painter, we're going to stay with the post-up game, but we're still going to incorporate some of that modern basketball in the double handoffs and the, and the screen aways and the flares and all of the stuff that he runs the action and still uh, incorporate a post-up center in pick-and-rolls and other games, kind of in that situation. Offensively, uh, that he's not just dribbling down and throwing it to Zach Eady every time and watching everyone double the post and plan off of that. He has a wide variety of offensive sets and movement that is outstanding.
0: want to go back to uh you talking about the the uh uh, the bracketology again we mentioned how you have purdue as a one seed uconn as a one seed you have houston and then as of right now and i'm sure you guys are working on uh, probably getting a new one updated since the last one last week i got pulled up here on february the 6th you got north carolina as a one seed talk about delphi bracketology talk about how you started that you came up with it talk about the process that goes into it as well yeah
1: was, the website because i think we moved arizona on front, and i just didn't put an updated list out okay. over the weekend but um so arizona right now is our last number one Gotcha. but it got started in 2015 when uh iu and purdue fans were sitting there and wondering where indiana and purdue would be seated in the tournament and i just a couple basketball fans and they said, I don't know. I said, all right, why don't we meet um, in the morning and we'll just Google the heck out of it and figure out. We started and we, we got in contact with a couple of people who, uh, through social media, who kind of gave us an insight. And then the next year, we formally started a club. And these same people who helped us, uh, Shelby Mast was the one from USA Today, he's located in Texas. He, he said, why don't you guys enter this contest? And so we entered the contest and we won it. Oh, wow. so then cbs tv came and covered us and did a segment for um uh, in between segments and and Gumbles narrating the story and it's on our our bracketology page for any listeners who want to go see the cbs uh thing but it was a big day at our school uh, security was in and they had the whole gym shut down for us uh cameras everywhere just a, a whole lot of fun and we, we've just grown. We, we now have a, a TV show with the ISC Sports Network, uh-huh. uh, a cable uh, subscription-based thing that covers high school sports and college sports in Indiana. They give us a TV show. Uh, we do some live streaming on, um, on YouTube. It, it, it we have our webpage where kids can get published. Just a lot of good things where we, again, try to predict the bracket that comes out. That Monday morning when everyone enters their office pools and tries to predict the winner. Yeah We're not gonna help you win your bracket pool But we're gonna tell you that uh, Purdue will play this team more than likely in this city Uh, We try to get that information out throughout the last six seven eight weeks so people kind of can get a heads up on selection Sunday
0: And, and so this is kind of a a prime point in the season where you guys are you know working hard to get that stuff out because uh, you know just like I don't I, I'm sure you follow him. I'm sure you've seen his stuff John Rothstein last night yeah. as soon as the Super Bowl was over post the video about how March is coming March is around the corner will Purdue exercise the demons will UConn go back to back who knows but it's all coming around the corner and so you guys are kind of in your prime state of, of putting all this out right now and and looking at it here there's some really interesting matchups I like. I really – the first one that sticks out to me is in the East region, the 8-9 game with Northwestern and Butler. You look at those 8-9 games, and for me personally, I think in the NCAA tournament, the 8-9 games are always uh, really kind of the best games and the best matchups.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting what you learn from doing this. We're in our 10th year of doing bracketology, and you really learn that the committee does a pretty good job, even though yeah. after the bracket comes out, this team. And then they also say, well, the NCAA sets up these matchups for TV ratings. No, they don't. It's just all by location. Mm-hmm. So the reason you have a Butler and a Northwestern is because they're closer to the location of the game that Butler is, you know, the eighth seed, has to play the one seed if they win. So whatever arena is hosting that, it's mileage. It's like flight mileage. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Butler is going to be very similar to a location that Northwestern is, so as long as they haven't played in the regular season, they're a likely matchup. And and So you'll see some of that happen when you see these funky matchups. Another one that might come out in our next bracket is Akron playing Illinois. Well, Akron's in Ohio. They're both Midwest teams. Well. What people think is, oh, Coach Gross, who used to coach at Illinois, is now at Akron. So they're setting that up for TV ratings. And the and the real answer is no. Those teams will travel to Indianapolis or wherever the game is going to be held. They're closer to that than they are to uh, Salt Lake City or wherever another game is going yeah. to be held. Locations, because they have to. But sometimes when you see those interesting matches, it's simply because of the location.
0: Yeah, and 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 also like it makes sense, and and really, in every uh, projected bracket I've seen, almost every single one I've seen has Purdue playing in Indianapolis uh, in the yep. first round against a uh, against the play-in winner of the of the sixteen seed. Yeah, and that's
1: uh, one team gets to pick its region, and Purdue okay. will pick Detroit, the Midwest, because fans can travel, right, and, and it's easier travel for them. And then it's usually the pods. There are eight pods, uh, eight locations uh, that are hosting first round. And you go to the place where you're closest by flight miles. I I believe it's flight miles. That's what we use. So Purdue is right down the road from Indianapolis. And as long as Purdue hasn't played more than three games in a building, uh, they get to play there. I think they've only played Arizona in in GameBridge. So, they will get to play Indianapolis in the first two games. If they win, they're going to go to Detroit, and then they'll go out to Phoenix for the Final Four. That's why uh, it matters. team is going to be Connecticut, and I think they're going to go to the East region, and I think that's at Boston. I don't have my spreadsheet up and looking at yeah, it.
0: Yeah, yeah, Boston.
1: Um, and then their location, their first-round game, will be the place that's closest to them. Okay. And I forget. I think that's Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn. Uh, is the spot for them mm-hmm. so they get a, a nice spot because your better teams deserve to be closer to home yep is I what agree. the state committee
0: does yep and, and and thinking about that now I I guess I've never really noticed that uh, like thinking about it like going back to last year Purdue plays in Columbus Ohio yep. you know neighboring Indiana and um I don't know I I guess I've never really thought of that again uh, like you have uh you have Houston playing at Memphis which that's really the closest uh, site that is to yeah. Texas. There is no uh, Texas City hosting a, a first round. So Houston probably is going to be in Memphis, but then their Sweet 16 and Elite 8 would be in Dallas. And then, of course, North Carolina going to get to play in Charlotte, which you yeah. know makes sense, same state, everything. So
1: The teams that really kind of get the, the short end of the stick are the teams who are 15th and 16th in the seed list because yeah. by then all the locations are – so you'll, you'll, you'll see a team maybe like Auburn who is, I think, going to come out today and be our 16th, our last um, – well, then I think they're the last three seed. But sometimes you you don't get your closest location, even though you're a top team because right. you run out of locations. But teams on each seed line get to go uh, where they're closest.
0: And and, and see, I, this is a quote I've heard in that, in that someone said – I think it was Rothstein said um, – I don't believe in predicting a Final Four until we see a bracket on Selection Sunday, and I and 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 I agree with that to an extent. But uh, as of right now, February the twelfth at nine twelve p.m., who's Brian Tanzoni's Final Four.
1: <laughs> I, I do think his matchups matter, right? right. I, I think that's where Rothstein is correct, and to see them. But I I, I think I think you're gonna seeds in and i think purdue and connecticut right now if you're just saying who are the best teams i I think their their matchups are so tough in the way they play I, i think they would be uh some teams that you would think that would go in and then you always have to try to pick um you know a few outliers that uh you know some three or four seeds or maybe even a team that's i i'm gonna go out on a limb i'm not gonna predict this but i would be afraid to play kentucky Okay. Because as a 6 or 7 seed, I, if they get hot for two or three weeks, they have the ability with Reed Shepard and Dillingham mm-hmm. and, and, and some of their bigs. They're not playing well right now, and they're in that lull of where they've lost a few games in a row, so they're dropping to the 6 seed line, 7 seed line. But they're one of those teams. You know, Connecticut won it last year and was a 4 seed. Right. Uh, and then they got hot and won 6 games in a row. So... The other thing with bracketology that's interesting is I used to think if you were a 5 or 6 seed, you weren't really a good team, but when you think about it, there are four regions and a, the last 6 seed is a 24th best team in the country. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. when we look at, oh, it's great to be ranked in the top 25, well, your 25th best team is your number one 7 seed. And no one usually predicts a 7 seed to win, uh, but that's how tight it is. When a 7 seed wins its first game and then it plays a a two seed in the second round—that's upsets can happen, and that's why even eight seeds, Florida Atlantic seed last year, winning in the second round to get to the Sweet 16. There's not a lot of separation between one and 32 in the game of college
0: basketball. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: we never—I never personally realized that until so I started doing the brackets, and you start looking at um, some teams on that six seed line, 20 teams, top 25 teams. Yeah. And you, you're not really surprised when uh, the team beats the 17, right? It's an mm-hmm. upset, but it's not really that much of a for that in the state tournament.
0: Yeah, and and talking about another team that I think is a potential Cinderella has all the makings of a Cinderella team is Indiana State, who's having a phenomenal season. Who who who? This is an Indiana State program that. Is without Greg Lansing and I know your son was a uh, was a manager there at Indiana State, so you kinda had some ties there, but talk about the Sycamores this year having a great season.
1: Man, they need to get in. I they're what twenty one and three right now. Mm-hmm. They have one quad one win, they have three quad two wins, so it's a marginal at large bid. And, and so if you win your conference Right. So if they win the Missouri Valley, they're gonna be in. The question is Twenty-seven and four, we lose one more game, but win six more, and losing the championship game in double overtime. Do they deserve to be in? Yeah, and I'm a big fan of mid majors. Mm-hmm. I'd yeah. rather see Indiana State with the way they play, uh, and, and they guard well as well. It's just mm-hmm. a fun team to watch. I'd rather than the tenth team from the Big Twelve, you know, Cincinnati or. A TCU that finishes you know, eighth or ninth in the in the Big Twelve, but because their conference is strong, they get a lot more quad those quad wins that determine bracketology. Anyone watching Indiana State knows that they can beat anyone on a given. And came up a little short in December. Uh, early in the season, they they went to Alabama and got beat. Uh, I don't know that they're good enough to go to a Final Four. But they're good enough to have it. That's yeah. what you want from the state tournament. That mm-hmm. some of these schools that are smaller conferences play good basketball, and I think two or three of them, uh, as opposed to some of these conferences getting eight, nine, seven, eight, nine, and the bottom feeders uh, of these conferences. That's just personal uh, preference. But as far as Indiana State goes, if you want to watch some good basketball, any of your listeners tune in uh to wherever you can find the Indiana state game on, on television or streaming or wherever they they just really play basketball yeah. in a fun style of, yeah. of offense particularly
0: yeah and and you're probably going to have to find them on TV and not go to a game cuz they're selling out their games down there at the Holman Center it's a it, it, it's yeah. a tough it, it's a tough ticket down there in Terre they're Haute they're yeah ranked today yeah for the first yeah.
1: time as we're taping this on uh, February 12th uh, they're 23rd, I think, in the rankings, which is the first time since Larry Bird, and it's yeah. good to see for yeah. again the state of Indiana and its uh, love of basketball. We'll and, see the Sycamores back in the in the light.
0: And and we talked about the locations and everything of of teams going, you know, to what pod there in the NCAA tournament as of in this latest bracket you have, and it may and 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 you probably know better than I do, but. Uh, in this latest bracket you have, you have them in Indianapolis. And so, you know, especially playing uh, pretty much in your home city, I mean home state at least, and you're also going to – you also have Purdue that's going to be there as well. You're going to have support from the Indiana State or or, uh, the State of Indiana fan bases, and you're playing in your home city against the seven-seed Boise State like we said Indiana state has the potential to have a pretty fun first weekend there and uh i think it's setting up to kind of be uh uh kind of be a really nice cinderella story for them if things can fall um you know um, if things can fall in the right places
1: yeah I, and, and that's what basketball's about you know we we love the the purdue's the connecticut's the top teams north carolinas dukes uh, those types of games and those when they match up against each other that's fun basketball to watch but when you have those cinderella stories in march madness that's what people remember the the northern Mm -hmm. iowa shot uh, probably uh maybe even well before your time uh just a lot of great memories of shots being made by underdogs and teams coming back that first That first day, Thursday and Friday that you turn in and you're looking at your 14 seed trying to stay with the three seed, Uh, Indiana State can be one of those seed that can really give trouble to the better teams. It would be a nice story for them to to get in regardless of whether they win the tournament and then see if they can do any damage
0: uh, down the road. In all of your years of uh, watching the NCAA tournament, being a college basketball fan, what... What is the, or or, probably better worded here? What is your, uh, what has been your favorite March Madness moment, NCAA tournament moment, Cinderella moment, whatever it's been? I mean, maybe besides a uh, 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 you know a few national championships from Indiana, what what, what has been uh, some of the memories that have stuck out for you when watching the NCAA tournament?
1: Man, that that is a fantastic one. I'll try to answer in some brevity. Yeah. I, I mean if you're a college basketball fan there, there, there's one is the key smart shot being an indiana fan i was in college got to run down and celebrate at the fountain and jump up and down
0: and <laughs> hey, that's, pulls for, there on kirkwood
1: yeah so um that will that'll be my forever moment because it just was so personal uh but Indiana in 1976 and 81. So the, I remember those, and that's a long time for this old guy. And then Michigan State, Indiana, Larry Bergman watching that game. Uh, Danny Ames scoring on a layup, BYU beating Notre Dame late. Uh, you know, you just – Defeated. I forget the year that was. Um,
0: 1991, something like that.
1: 91. Yeah, the 91. And I was with my dad, and, and my dad passed in 2004. So those are real special memories when it comes to being a fan, when you you remember that. Uh, I have an NCAA cup down here on uh, my bookshelf that reminds me of how much fun my dad and I had. And then that game where Duke really came to be Duke for the most part. Know what, thirty-two and zero or something yeah. at that point. That that was a game I saw. Uh, our family uh, from New York. My uncle we used to go to first-round games and really loved going to the first-round games in Nashville and, and hanging out in Nashville at the honky tonks in between games. <laughs> uh, so, so there's some memories that aren't necessarily game-related to that. Um, man, second shots and 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 upsets. The the sixteens over the one, especially FDU. That right. was a that was a great memory just last year. Uh, yeah, those are those are some of the ones that uh, that uh, stand out. Man, you just oh, yeah. you see those montages on on CBS or TNT or whatever's covering, and they show all the old games and the the buzzer beater uh, late nurse shots. remember watching that and just going nuts seeing that live and there's another one where I think Duke inbounded to Leitner against um, I, I want to say Connecticut just a little inbound going out of bounds for a while where the inbounder passes and then gets the ball right back in and I think Connecticut uh, there's a Clemson in a tournament game caught a baseline and just turned and um, who was it? Wisconsin beat somebody on a corner jump shot. I think it was Wisconsin. Florida. I forget who they. Yeah, they, where they yeah. get just an unbelievable shot out of the corner. Th- those big shot games in the N State Tournament are, are just unbelievable because one fan base gets so much, the other one's sent home disappointed. And, yeah. and that's what's and nice about the IU one fan, and done.
0: Um, and then if you're an IU fan, you kind of feel that every year sitting at home being disappointed during the NCAA tournament. So, uh, but, you know, you talk about some of your favorite memories, and this is a story I'd love to tell because it's probably my favorite NCAA tournament memory. Uh, It it was actually last year in the tournament. It was the final four. I was a senior in high school. Uh, My friends, they all teased me about it. People who know me teased me about it, but – I follow the NCAA tournament and post stuff about it on, like, Snapchat and, you know, keep my friends up with it, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And the Final Four last year was actually the night of my senior prom. And as a broadcaster, again, one of the guys I've looked up to for years is Jim Nance. I love Jim Nance, Mm -hmm. love listening to him. Watched him in the Super Bowl last night doing the Super Bowl, his last Final Four. I couldn't believe these people at Oak Hill High School really wanted to schedule prom on the same night as Jim Nance's Final Four. I couldn't believe it. I was irate. So I go to prom. uh, The music was bad. You know, people are confused on why I'm sitting at a table by myself on my phone watching uh, San Diego State and Florida Atlantic. Uh, the, the venue gets quiet. They're playing a slow song. People are dancing, you know, with their girlfriends or whatever. Well, Lamont Butler hits a shot for San Diego State to win the game at the buzzer. Now, I react like, you know, any other crazy basketball fan would, screaming and yelling and running around. And people are like, What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? And I'm like and I'm like, you know, if you didn't schedule prom on the night of the final four, I could be doing this at home, but no, I'm out here making a fool out of myself in front of all of you because you wanted to schedule it like this. So this ain't my fault. You know, it's that's the NCAA a great story. tournament. Yeah. I I, well, I I love that stuff, so
1: Yeah, that, that that's a great story. I the the ninety two final four for IU and they played Duke. I was in a wedding. um, Oh, my. And, and, you know, no one knew in advance that I was going to be in the Final Four that weekend. So, you know, you go to the. The good good friend got. We were all in the bar watching the game. We weren't out dancing. And I'll never forget um, my wife at the time, or as my fiance at the time said, hey, there's a dollar dance for the bride, and no one is dancing with the bride. So I had to to leave the game and go dance with the bride. So you and I have had some stories about having events, you know, during final four that, that should, that should be a no wedding or a no prom weekend. Let's, let's Let's get that, uh,
0: going yeah I I hundred I, percent agree with you there and, and 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 I think it's kind of those moments like that 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 make that that also make the tournament special for fans as well I be I mean because that's stuff that is gonna stick with us for the rest of our lives you know moments like that you know where were you moments I mean I' will I'll always remember where I was as a uh, uh, as like a fourth grader watching Wisconsin beat Kentucky in the final yep. four to save you know the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers, you know, hopes of still being the last undefeated team in college basketball. It always seems like to me that when there's an undefeated team, goes all the way through the tournament, gets beat in the Final Four, it's always in Indianapolis. Always. It was UNLV <laughs> in Indianapolis, Kentucky in Indianapolis, Gonzaga yeah. in Indianapolis. Gonzaga actually got in the championship, which was a little scary to be an IU fan because you're rooting for, uh, you know, you're kind of rooting against them a little bit, but talk about that 1976 Indiana team. Uh, is that really one of the greatest college basketball teams of all time in your unbiased opinion?
1: Uh, it has to be for the undefeated nature. And then also that the fact that they 66 in two years Yeah, uh, and, and short of an injury to Scott may, and since they could have gone back to back undefeated uh, national champions, uh, we, it happen since and I, I think it gets harder and harder the more you have better athletes and a wide array of athletes and Nil and all of that kind of stuff balancing things out you mentioned it when you said no I think it's tougher to go undefeated their run of undefeated uh, to say the greatest team ever and but and indiana seven uh, in the discussion if it's not the best team.
0: And, and, and you've been an IU fan probably really much your uh, pretty much your whole life. Who's your all time favorite Indiana Hoosier?
1: Things to help win, he wasn't the top scorer. People, he would get the team in. He was the extent on the floor, and I just took. Uh, always appreciated those kind of players when I coached. That did all of the little things that helped winning. And, and when you have those types of players, I think you have a, a better chance of having a successful. Whereas you need the big size, you need the athletic wings. All of that to win basketball games, but I have a big place in my heart for those blue guys, those leaders that do all the intangibles to help mm-hmm. win basketball games, no matter what level it is. And so Quinn Buckner is my my all time favorite out of out of several that I really admire and, and appreciate.
0: Who were uh, some of those others that stuck out to you?
1: Well, you know Steve Alford had a great run, and I got. He, uh, and so I'm when, when he was in college and, and his ability to shoot the basketball will always be one uh, obviously Calvert Chaney uh, an overcoming injury in high school and, and a relative unknown to be a dominant uh, college basketball is one of, one of the favorites I'm trying to think Yogi Farrell, I mm-hmm. think got a lot out of his ability yeah, as, a, as a point guard, so he would be one uh, recently. Uh, Jordan Halls, again, just an all-around player. Uh, a lot of those guys on that team, Victor Oladipo, you had to like uh, bringing Indiana back for a year or two. Uh, in the olden days, Allen Henderson, just so many quality players uh, that have gone through uh, Indiana to appreciate
0: well, a, a guy that's kind of becoming one of my favorites because of his ability, and 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 he's been able to stick with it for uh, for a while. Riding the bench, he's played some minutes this year. He's not one of my all time favorites, but I just love what he does. Is Anthony Leal? He's having a really great run right now. Pl- again, playing significant minutes for this IU ball, uh, basketball team.
1: Yeah, and he he's the epitome of of what you want an athlete. It's a struggle when you're not playing but he appreciates being in Indiana and he wants to win in Indiana. And when this opportunity came, he made the most of it. Now he's getting a little bit more run. And you like to see that. He's just a a school kid, Mr. Basketball, you know, taking his time to get there. And so you're happy to see him have some success.
0: Yeah, and and, uh, I think he's kind of provided a spark plug a little bit. I was a real big fan of of uh trey galloway kind of before this season he's not shooting the basketball really well right now um i saw a thing he's only shooting about 28 29 percent from three what what are some of the things you think that got to get him going and kind of elevate him to get back to kind of where he was from the last couple of seasons
1: well, there's a lot of responsibility for production on Trey Galloway and I think it wears him down and then, and then his shooting goes. I think last year he played off of Trace Jackson Davis. You had Miller Cobb to cover, you had Hood Shafino. So he could be a fourth or fifth option and he got more open looks, he was more comfortable doing that. Now he has to be, you know, either the main guy or the second guy for the win. And therefore, you know, he's gotta take some tougher shots and differently, and he's playing a lot of minutes. And I think those things all add up uh, to to a, a young man who's trying really hard. He's one of my favorites on the current team, mm-hmm. and he's trying really hard, and, and his game is suffering because he has to do so many things for this particular Indian box-up.
0: We talk about the IU men's team a lot, and I'm sure you you follow the women's team, and in the last couple of years, they're having a great run, too, under Coach Terry Morin. I, I think she's an outstanding
1: coach. She's able to recruit. She's able to get some transfers in. So Tyra Buss, the leading scorer, you replace her with, you know, Mackenzie Holmes, who becomes the next uh, leading scorer. You, you get a young lady from Hamilton, Southeastern, who goes out to Oregon and Sydney Parish and coming back. And then they just play. to shoot the basketball. Yeah, and, and it's it's a situation where they're ranked 14th or something. They'll be a four or five seed in the tournament, and I don't know if they're championship basketball. And they got a big game coming up against uh, Caitlin Clark, who's awesome for college basketball. I know she's uh, awful and talks a lot, but I don't get the the vitriol that Caitlin gets. Uh, it's just elevating the women's game, which is, in, in my opinion, coming. Because there's good basketball on the, on the women's side, both in high school and college. And Caitlin Clark and the Sydney Parishes and McKenzie homes are all are good examples. I'm sure I'm missing – really become a, a fun brand of basketball in Indiana and elsewhere uh, to watch these – level.
0: Now, Coach, finally, I want to go back to, uh, you know, you transitioning, getting out of coaching, and now kind of becoming a media member um, – you know, kind of becoming a media member a little bit with the assembly call and, and, and kind of doing your own thing now. Talk about the transition from going from, you know, from being an assistant coach on on a really good staff there at Western and getting into doing kind of your own thing now. Uh, you know, with you know, again with the assembly call and covering IU basketball and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, the five years I spent at Western were some of the best and some people say, well, you were an assistant. Yeah, I was an assistant to an outstanding man and Mike Lewis, who was my assistant uh, in basketball, high school basketball, when we were together at Delphi, and then he paid that back by hiring me at Western. And we had a really good run with some outstanding players and won a sectional and won a couple conference titles. And it, there was not one thing about uh, the coaching staff or the school. In April, two years ago, Uh, I had a slight heart attack, and I just decided I wanted to pursue some other things. That is, uh, going to more college games. I think I'll be like 27 or 28 college games this year, which kind of replaces all the time I spent in high school gyms. uh, Between bracketology and assembly call, I've been to IU, Notre Dame. I'll be a Butler tomorrow night. Uh, Those opportunities I never had because you're To eat with my wife and do some things, and be available. I have an elderly mother uh, an hour and a half away that uh, I try to get up and see, and I don't have uh, the limitations of practice. So it just was a time where I reevaluated uh, some priorities. I would coached for over 22 years and loved it. I miss it every day. The relationships with players and the ability to to teach uh, you know some offense and defensive skill and play and strategy. My son's a JV coach at Rossville right now, so I can live a little bit by, vicariously through him. I need to to do some other things and and somewhat successful. So that's why I transitioned back to, to the media, and I, I needed to stay in the media because I love basketball so much. I just couldn't go away from basketball. It's just what did I do in basketball changed uh, from from coaching and and Friday and Saturday nights in gyms to now uh, traveling and, and getting in media rooms and uh, talking about basketball. So that was the transition there. And uh, I I think that's, you know, at my age, I got four years till I retire from teaching, and I'm probably going to do this until I retire. And then even after I retire, because it it keeps you going in basketball uh, and, and the connections you make in this work it, it just is, as good as what it was in, in high school basketball but i do miss i miss seeing people like you at games and, and the number of people that really appreciated the work that we do at assembly call was was awesome and so i miss being out in the community that to a basketball arena so it, it is very much missed my friend but it was just time for me to transition to a, a different type of work
0: Talk about assembly call uh, a little bit here. Uh, talk about the the origin of that, how that got started. Uh, you know how you got involved with that, and uh, because you use assembly call to kind of spread the good word and kind of spread your guys's love of IU basketball, which we all love.
1: Yeah, there's original three uh, started in 2011 with post game shows, and then I started listening on YouTube and just hanging around and putting comments in. And they asked me to uh, to do some background work, uh, watching a, a, a chat room and everything like that. And then they needed a substitute, I think in 2016, on the show and they knew I was a former coach. And so I got on the show and they must've liked what I've done. And it's just been a great thing because I've met so many IU fans like yourself who would come up and introduce the show and love Indiana basketball. Mm-hmm. And I just have a crazy personality, you know. I, I like to have fun, and I think for a lot of people, I'm probably not the type of uh, analyst that everyone wants to listen to. But I've 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 gotten a lot of people that say they just appreciate how how I go about things, and I'm very grateful for that. And it's just I'm just an old guy, old coach, sitting in his recliner talking basketball, and uh, I'm glad that I, if I can say anything that helps people understand or get through the losses and appreciate the wins, then that is a thing that I really enjoy doing, but the fans, uh, again, like yourself, the number of people who come up to me when I was coaching now when I'm at games, I just can't thank them enough for, for what we do, but it's, it's fun to sit back and be able to talk about a team that you've loved forever
0: yeah.
1: and the access that it gives, you know, to, to be able to go now to assembly hall as a member of the media, to go to away games and, and follow the team and get to know some of the personnel behind the scenes. It's, it's just a real blessing to be involved in, in that and the guys that i work with at assembly call are some of the best uh, and, and we just have a good time and our, our network is expanding we've we've added quite a few analysts and different podcasts we do a women's podcast now uh we have a, a, another we're adding stuff all the time to our network called the back home network and as you're getting into podcasts and understand it's great to have conversations work that you love yeah. And, and get to know people, and, and so I'm I'm very proud to be on your podcast, uh, and enjoy, and, and then we can stay connected through through this uh, this love of basketball and podcasting and sharing on websites. So assembly call has been really good. If you're an Indiana fan, uh, it's on YouTube. We have a, a, a subscription page if you if you want to subscribe for a small amount on Substack, where we do articles and evaluations, film evaluations a basketball try giving us the shot. I, I think we do a good job.
0: Well, Coach, we appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule again. I know prime basketball season. We're right in the thick of things right now to, you know, take time out of your night to uh, come on and talk. And, uh, you know, we hope to have you on at, uh, you know, at some point again here in the very near future. We appreciate it.
1: I- I'm always available. I appreciate the conversation, and I wish you nothing but the – uh, because it is the state of indiana and it is something that we hold uh, dear at all levels college nba high school and any way you can further uh, that for your listeners and your followers and the people in the state of indiana it's good to have people like you in- involved so thanks for what you do thanks for having me on
0: coach brian tanzoni of assembly called delphi bracketology and again kind of a a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to all things basketball. You've been listening to the Hoops House with G. Shouse podcast. Stay safe, everybody.